today's uh, talk is, is called You, Me, God, and Everything. And I just want to tell you where, where I got the title from. I was, uh, I was visiting with uh, Rabbi Green, Shimon Green, from uh, Birka Satora in uh, Yerushalayim. And he said, he was telling a story, and he said that he was looking at someone, I, I think it was his Rebbe, and just his, his face was like completely lit up, and he was smiling from ear to ear. And he said, what? And he said, you, me, God, everything. And his Rebbe said, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> so, so I've sort of subtitled this talk, uh, Preparing for Rosh Hashanah. And it really is preparing for Rosh Hashanah. But at the same time, it's, it's the, the, the contents of what we're about to discuss are true for, for every second of every, of every day. And, and you'll see how, how literally I mean that as, as, as we develop it. And, and the first thing that we have to, to focus on is understanding what the avoda, what the, what the work of Rosh Hashanah is all about. You know, when I was growing up, the whole concept of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur just sort of like blended together into one sort of giant scary mass. And I, I didn't really understand like what, what, the, what the subtler distinctions were. And, um, and the truth is, is that Rosh Hashanah is, is, is a very, very distinct idea from Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is really about making God king and recognizing his kingship in, in, in all the world. And Yom Kippur is very much about getting your act together and, and, and rectifying your ways and everything like that. So, so whereas I think a lot of people, and I certainly did, well, it was running around on Rosh Hashanah asking everyone for forgiveness and everything like that, and it's, it's never a bad time to, to ask someone for forgiveness or ask God for forgiveness. Nonetheless, the, the, the chief work of Rosh Hashanah is not asking for forgiveness, but rather, like I said, really recognizing and fixing in your consciousness the, the sovereignty of God. So toward those lines, I think it would be really helpful to do some work in this because, because this, is, this is one of the big reasons why we're in the world today. And, and maybe we can just refine and, and deepen our level of sophistication of, of what it means that, that God is our King. And the first question that we have to confront is, is why is it so difficult? And I think that there are two main reasons, two main obstacles that present themselves to us that, 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 that challenge us and, and really distract us. And I think the first thing is that even though we intellectually understand this, what I've been saying, nonetheless, there's such, a, there's such an inclination to attribute power to other people that those people don't really have. And along those lines, there's, there's, there's a, a line, a couple of lines in the davening that, that always strike me, and I think they're absolutely so essential. Hi, Debbie. Do you want to do you want to sit down? Just grab a seat. Yeah. Um, and that's when we open up when we open up the Torah. We say Baruch Shemay, and it contains these lines. It says, "It is you who nourishes all and sustains all. You control everything." So, so that's it. God controls everything. Now listen to what the next line is. It is you who controls kings. And kingship is yours. So we've probably read this a million times and just zipped right past it. But there's an obvious, like, giant question that presents itself. If it just says, you control everything, why does it have to go on to say, you control kings? So I think that the answer is, and we're sort of going to develop a framework and we're going to go deeper and deeper over, over the next uh, hour, 
the chief answer is because even though intellectually we understand that God rules everything, nonetheless, if there's something that we really need, we attribute power to, if it's our boss, if it's our husband, if it's our wife, whatever it is, whether it's our friend, we attribute power to them that they don't have. So, so it's like even though we're very well-intentioned, we have to be reminded, even kings, even someone who you think has power over you, God also controls. It's also God. So that's the first step. That's the first thing we need to rectify, is attributing power to others that they don't have. The second step, the second thing that we have to rectify is attributing power to ourselves that we don't have. And this is a very, very deeply ingrained instinct. In fact, the Torah warns us. It says, the sort of the classic example of this, it says, it says, my power, it warns us that not to say the power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. Because when we do something unbelievable, and that is, can be a, a, a fantastic expression of ourselves. This isn't to minimize our, 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 our personal greatness or our personal ability to accomplish something in this world. Nonetheless, that power which we derive, which comes from God, it doesn't come from, our, it doesn't come from ourselves. So, so to me, the, the ultimate example of, of, a, of ascribing power to ourselves when we don't have it is, is illustrated by the, uh, the Beis Yaakov, the son of the Meish Shaloch, who says something, every, every time I say this, every time I think of it, it just it blows my mind, which is he says, he comments on the difficulty. You know, we're told that um, the, the mitzvah of, of honoring your father and your mother is the most difficult mitzvah in the entire Torah to keep. So he says, why is this the case? And, and he says, because deep, deep, deep down, we actually believe that we created ourselves. Unbelievable, right? He says, now we know it's not true because we can see our parents. So if that's the case, he says, if that's the case with honoring your parents, right? Can you imagine how difficult it is to believe in God, who on the one hand you can see in absolutely everything, but on the other hand is invisible. So these are, I believe, the two main chief, the, the twin obstacles to our recognizing God's kingship. Attributing powers to others that they don't have and attributing power to ourselves that we don't have. So the question is, what is the solution? And the solution is, is really having a much deeper understanding of, of what God is all about. And I just want to start, and we're going to start to, to, to build levels and build teachings, and I, I just want to start with one of my absolute favorite Torahs. I heard it from Gedalia Gerfine, and, uh, and it's so special to me. He says, what's the difference between a polytheist and a monotheist? Someone who believes in many gods and someone who believes in one god? He says, a polytheist looks at the world and says, God is in that tree, and God is in the sun, and God is in the mountains. But a monotheist, someone who believes in one God, says the entire world is inside God. And this is what we mean when we say in the davening, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvakot, Meloko Aretz Kivodo, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with His glory. That's what we're saying, that the entire world is saturated in godliness. You know, I was having lunch with a friend of mine uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about this, 
And, and, and I asked him, I said, where is your car parked? And he pointed across the street. And I said, do you realize that you can't walk to your car without swimming in godliness? And you have to understand that this is the essence of the Shema. When we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That Hashem, you are one. What are we saying? We're saying that it's all God. It's all God. The entire world is wall-to-wall God. And with this in mind, there's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov that I heard from uh, Rabbi Zeller, which just was so special. He says like this in the second paragraph of the Shema, it says, Beware lest your heart be seduced and you turn away and serve, the God of, serve gods of others and bow to them. So he says, so what's the connection between turning and serving other gods? So this now fits in nicely with what we've been saying. The idea is like this, that if, if you understand that it's all God and you turn your focus and you attribute power to someone else, that turning of your focus is akin to idol worship. Do you hear? So it says, don't turn. Don't turn and serve other gods. Because the turning itself, that break in consciousness, already you're attributing power to people that don't have that power. Okay, so now let's take the next step. And this step is just, I, I have to be honest with you, if you think about this and if you contemplate what I'm about to say, this can change your entire life. I mean, this, this blows my mind every time I think about it. And the perfect example of it is the, the movie The Truman Show. Did, did, did people see this movie by any chance? It's, it, it's really a phenomenal movie because it illustrates a concept which is, which is unbelievably deep. Okay? For those of you who didn't see it, let me just describe what the movie was. Basically, a child, a, an entire movie studio is constructed, but it's the size of a giant island. I mean, it's a giant, giant, it's a city-sized movie studio, and it's encased in a dome with its own rising sun and its own setting sun, and there's a child that's born, and he's raised inside this set where everything around him is just there just for him. It's all a prop. Everyone who he comes into contact with, including his parents, his wife, the people in the store, his co-workers, they're all actors. And this show accepts him, and he doesn't know. And this show is being broadcast around the world, and it's the most popular show in the entire world. And they all watch this person going through life. So this is our story. This is our story. Not only is God everywhere and God everything, but all of this has been staged just for you. So that means, for instance, when you talk to your wife, when you talk to your husband, when you talk to your friend, when you talk to your co-workers, when you're in line at Starbucks and ordering coffee, you're talking to God. You're talking directly to God. They're not God. But you're talking to God. Because all of this has been staged just for you. And the unbelievable thing is, unlike in the movie, where all of that was going on just for him, in our lives, 
it's, it's, it's phenomenally deeper because it's all going on simultaneously. In other words, everyone around you is a prop. It's just you and God. And everyone who you talk to, you're talking to God. But the same thing is true for me. Everyone who I'm talking to at the same time is God. It doesn't mean they are God. You understand the distinction. But nonetheless, you're talking to God. Now, if you have this in mind, you, you absolutely cannot go through life the same way. You can't. You simply can't. If you realize wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're talking to God? Unbelievable. You know, I found this thought in the, in the writings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I heard it first from Rabbi Green, and then I found it in the writings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he said like this, this is, this is how it was phrased in the book. I think it's a paraphrase. It's in the book, Bringing Heaven Down to Earth. A great, great book, if anyone has a chance to get it. It says like this, All that exists is him and you. Everything else is just interface. You hear? It's the same thought. It's the exact same thought. Okay, so now he takes it to the next step, which is a more practical application of this. And he breaks down all of reality into three Three parts, okay? The first part is a connection to be grasped. Okay, let me just uh, backtrack. He says, everything that exists in your world is about connecting to your creator. Everything is one of three. So the first category is a connection to be grasped. So, for instance, if you see a poor person, that person has been put into your world for you to make a connection to God at that moment. Okay? Or Pesach night, matzah. That matzah is, is a connection for you to be able to grasp godliness at that moment. Okay? So the next category is a disconnection to be avoided. So, for instance, an example of this would be uh, unkosher food. If you see unkosher food, so... God is giving you the opportunity to connect to Him by avoiding that at that moment. Or if you have the desire to speak Lashon Hara, if you have something bad to say, withdrawing, holding yourself back at that moment and not saying it, that's another, another opportunity God is giving you to connect to Him. A disconnection to be avoided. And now the third level is maybe the deepest. Okay, listen to this. Or, neutral ground. Awaiting you to transform it into a connection. And he says, keep in mind, if something was not part of your purpose, it would not exist in your world. So, so one of the Torahs that, that I heard from Reb Shlomo, an Ishbitzer Torah that just changed the way I think of everything. And this was one of Shlomo's major themes, but he articulated it so, so concisely this one time. He says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, he says, he says there are two kinds of Jews, right? Two kinds of people. They're, they're highway Jews. So what's a highway Jew? That means that it's sort of like the person says, okay, so there's a path, and down this wide, you know, path is, is Shabbos, is Kashrus, 
is, 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 is loving your fellow person, is, is, is believing in God. You know, the, the general principles, and you're, you're walking down that, that, that wide path. Okay, so that's one level. But you want to hear just a, a phenomenally deeper level? He says, then there's step-by-step Jews. Okay? These Jews, every step along the pathway, every step along the highway, are asking, what does Hashem want for me this moment? And when you understand that all of reality was constructed for you, moment by moment, just for you, it's a real tangible question. This isn't abstract at all. What does Hashem want for me in this moment? How can I serve Him in this moment? How can I transform neutral ground into a connection with Him? Maybe, maybe it's as simple as just smiling. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's as simple or as deep as saying hello to someone. Maybe it's as simple or as deep as just going up to someone who you contact, you're in contact with every day and just saying, I just want you to know how great a job you're doing. You're absolutely transforming reality at that moment. And now, I just want to describe this level of consciousness, okay? And uh, these are from the, the notes, the writings of, of Rabbi Michael Ozer. And he said it so beautifully. It's exactly what we've been discussing. Listen to this. One must seek to attain the qualities of innocence during the month of Elul, when doing tshuva. The innocence of one that connects to is childlike as opposed to childish. What is the difference? Okay? The innocence of children, which is childish, comes from ignorance. It is unconscious. Whereas the innocence of tzaddikim, holy righteous people, is childlike. And that comes after they attain a deep wisdom and awareness of the world. This childlike type of innocence comes from a heightened sense of spiritual consciousness as opposed to naivete. Childish innocence is eventually lost and corrupted by worldly knowledge. Childlike innocence comes through honest spiritual effort. It is earned and therefore remains with you forever. The first type of innocence is likened to Adam, the first man. The second type of innocence is likened to the consciousness of Mashiach. Now listen to this Ishvitzer Torah. He says he's now going to sum up the consciousness of the entire world from the first man to Mashiach, okay? He's going to give you the arc of the entire history of the world in one, in one sentence. Listen to this. He says, The Ishvitzer Rebbe suggests our falling out of Eden was for the ultimate good so that we can evolve from the unconscious innocence of Adam to the earned spiritual innocence of Mashiach. Do you hear that? Do you know what that means? It's like, let, let's say it a different way. You know, it says in, in the Talmud, in, in Sanhedrin 99a, it says that where the Baal Tshuva stands, the, the person who returns to God, where he stands, his spiritual level, the Tzaddik, the perfect righteous one, can't stand. Can't be on that level. So how is it 
because we'll, there, there, are many, there are many explanations of this, but perhaps a very simple one, straightforward one, is that uh, a Baal Tshuva is someone who's experienced all of the, the different aspects and pleasures of the world. And then he returns to Torah and sees the truth and the holiness in Torah. It's a completely different level from someone who's only known Torah his entire life. So when you've experienced everything, and yet you connect to the truth of the Torah, and, and you see the vastness and the majesty of God in every single moment, that's a messianic level. That's absolutely a messianic level. And you know, I have to just share something with you. Just it's a, it's a personal, it's a, it's a personal pet peeve of mine. But I see it all the time and maybe you do also. Which is this sort of like this pseudo sophistication of people, which is so rampant. And it expresses itself in cynicism. People think, you know, they, they sit and they, and they complain about that and they crit- criticize that. And, and, and they talk about the, the quote-unquote hypocrisy of this and that. And, and they think that they're deeper somehow. Or that they're seeing deeper somehow because of this. Do you know what's so harder and so much, so much deeper than cynicism? Optimism. Because if it's all godliness, if everything is God, that means that there's good in absolutely everything. And the real sophistication is to be able to see beyond the surface and to be able to see deeper and to understand the good that exists in everything. That's real sophistication. Not just dumping on everything. That's so easy and cheap. So, so, so now, with this in mind, with this model in mind, understanding that everything is godliness and that everything has been constructed just for you to connect to God, we can understand something that's a very elusive concept and something that people are very scared of and misunderstand greatly, which is the whole concept of Yiras Hashem, translated in some ways as, as fear of God or, or translated as, as awe of God sometimes, which is a slightly better translation, but still doesn't really touch on the depths of it. And what is the greatness of Yiras Hashem? The Akedis Yitzchak says that, that, the, that the rise to holiness is like a staircase. And each step is made out of Yiras Hashem. Okay? So what is Yiras Hashem? What is true Yiras Hashem? So, so listen to this. I heard from Shlomo in the name of the Baal Shem Tov that the word for fear, Yira, has the same letters Yud, Resh, Aleph, that's Yira, it shares the exact same letters as the word for seeing. Resh, Aleph, Yud. Okay, so, so do we see that the, the word for fear, quote unquote, and the word for seeing, it's, it's the exact same letters. Okay, so, so what is that saying? It's because fear of God comes from, under, or fear, the definition of fear of God comes from seeing that you're standing in front of him at all times. So, so that's why you get the idea, that's where you get awe, because when you understand that you're, you're standing before God at all times, how can you be anything but awestruck? And that's where we get the level of fear, because it's like, you know something that's a little bit scary? <laughs> I'm standing in front of God right now, that's, that's a little bit scary. But at the same time, there's something else going on, which is simultaneously... There's love of God going on. Why? Because you say to yourself, if all of this was done just for me, 
Well, let me just take one moment to think about that. That means that the arrangement of the every leaf on every tree, literally, was just for me. The smell of grass after it's been freshly cut, that was just for me. The pattern that fields of wheat make when the winds blow through it, that was just for me. When you understand that, how could you feel any sensation but an overwhelming love of God? And this is also a Baal Shem Tov Torah. Because he says like this, from the Pusik, serve God with fear. Now listen to these words, rejoice with trembling. The question is, what do you mean rejoice with trembling? Like, they're, they're opposites. They're opposites. And this is something that is discussed in, in, in Gomorrah Brochus and Gomorrah Yoma also. I mean, they're, they're trying to figure out what does this mean, okay? So, so the Baal Shem Tov says like this. He says, he says, in worldly affair, affairs, there can be no fear where there is joy, and no joy where there is fear. But in serving God, wherever there is fear, love is also found. They can exist simultaneously. That's what we were saying. That's the, that's the explanation of, of, of rejoice with trembling. Because simultaneously, while you're realizing that you're standing in front of God, and that's a little scary, that causes trembling, at the same time, there's this awesome, this awesome recognition that God loves me so much that He's created and arranged every aspect of reality just for me. And now we can also understand, you can ask yourself, why are there so many mitzvahs? You know, were the rabbis control freaks? God forbid, right? I mean, why? Why? Everything from tying my shoes to bruchas after going to the bathroom. Why? And it's because when you understand that nothing is without God's presence, every single moment, if you're standing before God, that means that every single moment can be sanctified. And that nothing... Nothing, no second of the day is meaningless. And there's such a beautiful Shlomo Torah, I mean, just in terms of what, what the mitzvahs really are. You know, Shlomo says, don't, don't translate them as laws. Understand that they're divine pathways. And listen to this. He says that the mitzvahs, I think he said in regard to the Ten Commandments, but he was talking about all the mitzvahs. He says that they're God's, the mitzvahs are God's prayers for the world. And when you're keeping them, you're praying God's prayers and you're dreaming God's dreams. Okay, so now we have to go to the next step, which is even deeper, okay? Because the Kutzka Rebbe brings it all home. It's like, you know he was a, you know he was a, a chassid, so he knew, he knew all of this and, and way, 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 way more, okay? But listen to what he says. He, he does the most amazing reverse focus and brings it all home in the most amazing way. So he asks the question, where is God? So you and I, after hearing this, want to say God is everywhere, right? But he says something so much more. He says, do you know where God is? 
He says, God is where you make a place for Him. You see, you know what it is? The entire world can be filled with godliness, but if we're walking around putting negativity in the world, on some level, what does it matter? Of course, it doesn't change the ultimate reality, but we have the most awesome privilege and opportunity by being alive in this world to be a conduit to bring godliness into the world. And it's our job to express it in this level of reality. And if we do it, we sanctify God's name. And if we don't do it, God forbid, we desecrate His name. Because there's one teaching that we have to keep in mind at all times. And this is from the, uh, the art scroll Yom Kippur Machser. Okay? We ignore the fact that people judge God by the way we act. I mean, does that bring it home in the most awesome way? I mean, we've just been talking about how God is saturating every, every, every atom of every cell of the entire universe, and yet what's the ultimate truth? People are judging God by the way we act. And we can get a better sense for what's going on, you know. It's I heard this from from uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman, but it's it's uh, you know it's it's known from the Chassidus, and it's it's just a beautiful thought. And with the framework we've established, we can really appreciate what this is saying. We think so much that ordinarily that when we do a mitzvah, we are we are sanctifying a moment, okay? But it's so much more than that, that we're making a moment holy. It's true, but it's not so deep, okay? The greater reality is, what do you mean I'm making the moment holy? It's all God. It's already holy. When I'm making a blessing, when I'm doing a mitzvah, when I'm keeping Shabbos, what I'm doing is I'm revealing God in this world. I'm separating the veils that are separating our recognition of godliness in the world and other people's recognition of godliness in this world and I'm opening their eyes that God exists in this moment and that God governs this as well. And you have to understand something, that, that to the extent that we do it, it's done. What do I mean by that? I heard something from Rabbi Kersner. He said that basically... He says that basically, God puts us in the control tower. So imagine yourself like in the cockpit of an airplane or something like that. Okay? But, but let's say the cockpit is actually your body. Okay? Let's say your soul is in the control tower and the control tower is your body. And you have all the controls in front of you. So when you become angry at someone, you are bringing God's anger into the world. Okay? But if you are filled with love and you're filled with kindness, 
you're actually bringing God's kindness and love into the world. And you govern the control path. You know, I have to tell you something. One time I was driving in my car and I saw a homeless woman. I mean, if I think about it too much, I'm going to start crying. I mean, the, the most advanced form of sadness. And she, I, I, she was more or less dressed in newspaper and was sitting on the sidewalk and was filthy and leaning against a tree or something. And I remember I was parked nearby and I was praying with all of my heart. How is this woman... God, you've got to bring the Mashiach because how, how is this person ever going to be helped otherwise? I mean, short of that, I don't know how this woman is going to be cured. And I was praying so hard and then somehow it didn't even occur to me. I mean, it, it might sound to you in the telling as, as though what I'm about to say is very simple, but at the moment it struck me as, as, as like with a, as a lightning bolt that I can go over there and help her right now. And in my small, small, infinitesimally tiny way, I went over there and, 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 and tried to do something. But the point was, it occurred to me at that point, my prayer was answered, and through me, God was helping this woman. So I just want to close with a story. It's a story that's just, it's, it just touches me so deeply and, uh, and, and we'll finish with this thought. I heard it from Rabbi Zeller. So the story goes like this. There was an architect and this incredibly rich person, incredibly like a billionaire, right? came up to him and said, you know something? You're doing such an awesome work. You know what I want? I want you to build a dream house. Okay? And I don't want you to spare any expense. I want you to use the finest material. And I want you to just, the most elaborate, whatever, whatever your, wherever your imagination takes you, this is what I want you to construct. And I don't want you to think of money or not. I don't want to think, don't think of price. And so the, the architect, this was, this was the ultimate assignment. This is what he had been waiting his entire career for. It had all been leading to this. And he sat down and every idea that he thought was just, you know, not feasible in the past, he sketched out and he, and, and he, and he laid it all out. And there it was. And he showed it to his patron and the patron looked at it and he said, this is awesome, build it. And the architect was just, I, I can't couldn't, couldn't even imagine his good fortune. And so he set about to build this dream house. And as construction went on the way, he ran into some problems, some obstacles. And he found that some materials that he thought he'd be able to attain, he wasn't able to obtain. So he started to scale back a little bit and he started to use cheaper materials. 
And then he was laboring under the false assumption that there was some sort of like, some, some sort of limit and he ran into some, some more complications. So there was one wing of the house that he thought, you know something, the truth is, is that that's really unnecessary. We really don't need that wing of the house. And the, the truth is this house is so grand, he'll never miss it anyway. So he eliminated that wing. And then, slowly, 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 he started making little compromises in the entire structure of the house. But he finished. He finished. It wasn't the house that he set out to build. But he finished. And he went up to the patron and he said, I finished your house. Here it is. And the patron looked at him and he was surprised. He said, my house? He said, don't you know? This was all for you. So do you understand? Does everyone see? God gives us the most phenomenal resource in the entire world. He gives us life itself. And he just asks us to do one thing, which is to dream. Just to dream. And to not limit ourselves. And we have to understand, because we labor under the false assumption that we're all doing it, that we're laboring for someone else. That everything is for someone else. Or that God is a stern taskmaster. And that we're all doing it for, for God who's like riding us, God forbid. But the truth is, is that all of our heavenly service, all of our avodas Hashem, all of the mitzvahs that we perform, it's for us. It's just for us. And we are going to be the recipients of all of the good in the end of days. Because in this world, each one of us is constructing a palace. And if you had the eyes to see, if you had the eyes to see, you would look at each and every person and you would see a magnificent structure being erected around them. And God just asks us one thing. Please, don't be cheap with yourself. Don't be stingy with yourself. Don't cheat yourself. Do you know that the Kutzka Rebbe defines the mitzvah, thou shalt not steal, as don't steal from yourself? Don't rob yourself of your own potential? There's so much more to talk about, but I think we'll stop here. I want to thank you all so much for coming. Yeah.